0: reduction surgery that can
1: To America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pulis, and this week I'm talking to Derek Fell, who's a gardener, a writer, and a photographer, and whose work is displayed worldwide. You may be, you've probably seen some of his work, even if you didn't know um, that Derek did it. Welcome, Derek.
2: Well, it's glad to be back again. Thank you.
1: When you were last with us, we talked about your Pennsylvania garden, but you also mentioned that you spent the winter in Florida and grow tropical fruits. So, of course, we had to get you back on to talk about that. (laughs) Yes. Tell me about your garden.
2: Well, the um, garden in uh, Florida is uh, a project um, that I started about six years ago. I had been down to Sanibel Island. Um, Oh, in the 1970s, and I went back for a convention, and I was uh, very impressed uh, by the way that the island was managed. It wasn't uh, overdeveloped, and um, a uh, real estate friend of mine showed me around, and I found this beautiful property that had been landscaped about an acre, and uh, it already had 33 coconut palms on the property, which meant that it was frost-free, And uh, it just sparked an idea that I could have a tropical garden as well as a temperate garden. And uh, um, I've always admired the painter Gauguin, you know, who went to uh, Tahiti and uh, tried to establish his Garden of Eden. And I feel a little bit like the artist because what I've uh, been doing is having a lot of fun learning how to grow things like banana trees and uh, mango, papaya, even macadamia nuts. I mean, I'm amazed. They grow like weeds on Sanibel Island. You just have to give them some good soil and keep them watered, and uh, they crop very early. So it's a whole new experience down there. And um, also uh, what's fortunate um, is that there's a very good airline service from Trenton Airport in New Jersey, direct to Fort Myers, and I'm in, I'm close to both airports, so uh, two and a two-and-a-half-hour flight in the air, and I can be in a tropical
1: climate. <laughs> wow, and you don't have to deal with LaGuardia or Atlanta Airport to, to get there.
2: No, in, in fact, um, yeah, in fact, Trenton only has one airline uh, serving it, and that's frontier. So the uh, security lines are always very quick, and uh, it's just a pleasure, you know, to be able to leave the farm in Pennsylvania, a 35-minute drive to the airport, get on a plane, and in two and a half hours, I'm on my beautiful island.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Well, that's that's a whole lot better than than most tropical people have had to deal with, with the long ocean voyages and things. Um, Tell me about, you mentioned macadamia nuts. I remember macadamia nuts being served on the airlines back in the 50s. Yes, yes. And they were, they were thought to be more priceless than gold. So you've got your own trees, and, and it produces.
2: I do, and what I discovered about macadamias is that um, there are tree forms and there are bush forms, uh, or rather dwarfed uh, trees. And uh, the first year that I planted the dwarf form, I actually got nuts. It was amazing. And um, I-, I was also told that with enough uh, indoor light, uh, you could grow that dwarf tree um, in, in uh, a northern climate, providing it had enough light, and it might fruit within three years indoors. So, um, you know, I learned something every day. <laughs>
1: That's, that's a marvelous thing about gardening. There is something to learn every day. So our northern listeners, who are probably despairing, saying, I can't grow any tropical fruit, um, <laughs> you can have, they can have macadamia nuts. And they don't need a greenhouse to do it. They just need, a, like, a big bright yes. window or a right. room or something. Yeah.
2: I also have a very good uh, collection of citrus. And um, uh, this year uh, one of my lemon trees produced over 100 fruit. Uh, wow. that, that was a maya lemon, and the maya lemon also uh, is quite a good uh, citrus fruit to practice on if you want to grow citrus fruit indoors, and also kumquats. In fact, uh, my maya lemon is actually grafted onto a kumquat, and uh, the two of them bred there uh, seemingly on the same tree. <laughs> uh, fascinating. Yeah, and I think actually, uh, you know, I could probably even graft a grapefruit onto it as well in an orange, but I haven't attempted that yet. I haven't really gotten the experience, but that's something that I might experiment with at a later date.
1: Are kumquats normally dwarf or do you, is this a special dwarfing rootstock?
2: Well, a kumquat um, is quite precocious uh, with its fruiting. You know, it's like a grape. You can eat the skin and the interior. It has a tart, sweet flavor when it's uh, ripe. Um, but it, it, it's absolutely covered in fruit, and uh, they're a little bit bigger than your thumbnail. Um, really uh, quite pleasant. They, they uh, usually fruit at Christmas time, so people often use them as Christmas decorations. You see them in the supermarkets at that time. And you can make a wonderful marmalade out of them, too, I'm told. Um, but uh, it's a tree that will grow quite tall. I mean, I think mine is about perhaps uh, 20 feet high, but it can be pruned. Uh, to remain uh, uh, very tight and compact, and uh, you can grow it in a pot quite easily.
1: That's a good thing to know. And what kind of light conditions would it need? Would it, could, would, was, need, it need to go outside need, during the summer? It does. Uh, it needs
2: uh, as much light as you can give it, and um, uh, after there's any danger of frost, yes, take it outdoors and uh, keep it outdoors until f- frost threatens again in the fall.
1: So it doesn't need any kind of dormancy period at all? No. It just needs to be protected from the frost? Yes, yes. Now, do kumquat also have the problem that I know a lot of people that have had Meyer lemons have had with um, spider mites getting on them in the time when they're indoors?
2: Well, uh, let me tell you this. Um, my uh, Sanibel Island garden is is still an experimental garden. I mean, I'm still, uh, you know, finding out things about grapefruit as opposed to, say, Valencia oranges. Um, and uh, certainly I have discovered that the oranges and the grapefruit are susceptible to spider mites. Um, I have not seen that problem on my lemons, and I haven't seen it on the kumquats either. And that's not to say that I might not get them at some future date, but um, that's been my experience, that uh, they're quite uh, prob- problem-free. Um, but you say that, you, uh, that there is a problem with Mayo lemons. Um, well, that's interesting to know, but I haven't seen it online. It may be the location I have it. I have it in a different location than the uh, grapefruit um, and the oranges.
1: Well, and of course, outdoors it probably has some natural predators too. Where indoors, um, you know, the, the spider mite population has a chance to grow. That's Most cool. of the people that I know that have indoor citrus that that do have a problem with spider mites find that it's really only in the winter time. Yes. And so I suspect that it's a combination of the hot air, the yes. um, dry air, oh. and lack of right. uh, predators to take care of it. Wouldn't you think? You know,
2: I have found that actually um, in an indoor environment, uh, spider-mines are quite easy to control. And the way I do it is with um, rubbing alcohol. And you can buy that at any pharmacy. And all you do is you take a paper towel, dip it in the uh, alcohol, and you rub the stems and the leaves and, of course, the webbing, if you can see it, and that really uh, helps get rid of them. I mean, I have hibiscus that are a magnet to spider mites. And uh, as, as soon as I go down there, one of the first things I do is uh, I rub the stems of uh, my hibiscus uh, to stop the spider mites. And uh, it, it's very effective. But there are other... Um, you know, things you can use as well, I think uh, eucalyptus oil is another good uh, uh, spray, uh, an organic spray that comes from the eucalyptus tree without using any kind of poisonous uh, spray. But, you know, uh, one of the biggest problems I have discovered in growing outdoors in a climate like Florida is nematodes because we have a very sandy soil, and nematodes love sandy soils. They are not so prevalent in uh, a soil that um, has plenty of compost. Um, and what I have discovered is that uh, if you do have nematodes, it's very difficult to grow things like fig trees, which they're attracted to uh, very quickly, and, same, and the same is true of tomato plants. And um, what you have to do is you have to put down a barrier, and usually you can uh, roll out some black plastic over the soil. You can tip in uh, compost or potting soil to make a uh, planting bed, and you grow in that above the indigenous soil, and um, that will help you get rid of the nematode problem. But Also, um, you can uh, grow in containers, and if you seal off the containers from uh, the indigenous soil, the the nematodes will not be able to get into the containers and uh, contaminate the roots, but they are a huge problem um, in any uh, kind of warm uh, climate like Florida.
1: I know that some years back UGA was researching the use of pine bark mixed in with the soil to combat nematodes, Uh, because, of course, South Georgia is very sandy, and there are also a lot of pine trees. And they found that that worked considerably to boost that organic matter.
2: Um, Well, in Florida, Florida, uh, one of the recommendations among organic gardeners that I've talked to is crab meal. Um, You can buy it uh, as a mulch, and apparently it repels nematodes. I haven't tried it myself, but I have talked to several uh, organic growers who swear by it.
1: Is it the chitin in the shells that do it?
2: I don't know what it is, but um, uh, they they it's you know they grind up the the shells of crab uh, when they extract the meat, and uh, it's it's almost uh, like a powder, um, and and that is used. And of course, it uh, is nutritious too because it. Uh, um, puts a, uh, a plant nutrient in the soil that uh, benefits the roots.
1: <clears throat> and um, does it re- attract animals like raccoons? Is it smelly? Because I know that, you know, when you find a crab on the beach, it's pretty stinky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you used uh, a crab from the beach, yes, it would, I think, uh, attract raccoons. But um, the uh, powdered form that they use, uh, I think they steam it. Uh, it, it is odorless.
1: Well, that's a good thing to know, because I know a lot yeah. of the organic fertilizers that are from, like, seaweed, kelp, yeah. get a very strong right. iodine smell, and, of course, the, the fish emulsions are yeah. are yeah. horrendous, even when they say that they're uh, yeah. deodorized. It's not yeah. really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on that alcohol, do you have to cut the alcohol um, 50-50 with water? Doesn't it desiccate the leaves?
2: No, it doesn't. Um, I uh, have not. You know, you can use also a Q-tip, and uh, you don't need a lot of it. Uh, You just need to smear a small amount on the leaf and the stems, and that's enough uh, to uh, kill the spider mites.
1: That's a good thing to know. We have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, we'll talk more about your tropical fruit, and especially those fruits that people can grow in their own home garden, even up north. We'll we'll be, we'll be right back after
0: this break. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app, the sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and this morning I'm talking to Derek Fell, and Derek is telling us about his tropical garden. Derek, you, last time you were here, we talked about your northern garden. I'd like to know some more about your tropicals. You were talking about the kumquats yes. and about the nematode problems that you have down there. Yes. Um, can, you, can you take care of the nematode problem by just adding a lot of compost?
2: I'm told that you can, um, but uh, the most effective way is, is to make a barrier so that the nematodes can't get to the roots of your plants. Um, I have not been at that garden long enough to tell whether the composting I've done uh, will take care of it. I mean, uh, the, the soil in Florida is almost pure sand. And it takes a huge amount of compost uh, to alter it.
1: <clears throat> I had a friend that lived um, near, on the, on the Gulf side, and she also had very sandy soil, and she was constantly adding milorganite. And and whenever anybody'd ask her what she wanted for her birthday uh, or Christmas, it was always a load of manure. <laughs> ah, yeah. And yes. so they would go out to the, the horse stables there and, and get loads and loads of it yeah. and then the hurricane would come in and flood her well, yard and wash it away. Wash it away, I know. Yeah. But yeah. she had a good she had pretty good luck with mil- Milorganite. Melorganite. Um, Dar- Dar- and Dar- I don't know I don't know if you've tried that before.
2: No, I've steered clear of melorganite because um you know it's made from sewage sludge. Uh And uh, it's mostly recommended for lawns, I believe. I wouldn't use it on vegetables. In fact, um, that was one of the problems they had at the White House when they wanted to plant a vegetable garden for Michelle Obama. They did a soil test, and they found that the uh, the sewage sludge, I, I don't know if it was milorganite, but it was a form of sewage sludge that they had used to fertilize the lawns, and it was unsuitable for growing vegetables. And they actually actually had to dig up the existing soil and replace it with um, a new uh, topsoil in in order for them to grow any uh, healthy vegetables.
1: Well, I know that there used to be a controversy, and there may still be with some types of sludge because they had very... Uh, heavy concentrations of metal in it. Yeah. I think, though, that they've solved that problem. I don't know for sure. I will have to find out. Um, I think that
2: would be a good uh, question to uh, answer because I've come across that question many times and I've just accepted the fact that since it's sewage sludge, I don't want anything to do with it. But uh, if if the reverse is the truth, uh, I'd certainly use it again.
1: Now, I've also heard that for nematodes, there's been a fair amount of research on using beneficial nematodes to control them. I don't know what which specific nematodes might, that you have or which yeah. ones might uh, well, take care okay. of that, but that might be um, a possibility too. I've,
2: I've read about that, and I'm told it's effective, uh, but I've never seen uh, them for sale. I imagine you could go online and find them. Um, Now, the other organic method uh, with nematodes is to grow marigolds in a plot because uh, the spicy odor in the roots uh, and the leaves of marigolds is a repellent, and I've seen that done in Japan. When I was in Japan, I saw huge fields of marigolds, and uh, they were being grown to be tilled into the soil to repel nematodes.
1: Yeah, I understand that um, nematodes can't live on marigold roots either, and that's one of the reasons why it's effective. But yeah. you, for short season gardeners that might have nematode problems in their garden, that really puts the bed out of commission for an entire year because yes, it, it has to be grown Lying. for the yeah. the entire season and then yeah. tilled in. Yeah. Um, there used to be a lot of old wives' tale about mixing. You know, marigold in with your tomatoes to repel nematodes, (laughs) and of course they found that that didn't work. That's not effective, Uh, no. And uh, so that's a that's kind of a tough one for a lot of our gardeners. Okay, so you're going. um, Go ahead. Oh, I I just wanted to
2: mention something, Daryl, before we uh, go any further. Um, Since I talked to you last, I have a new book uh, that's come out. All right, and it's called Monet's Palette. Cookbook, And I wrote this with another person, um, uh, a lady called Aileen Boardman, and she had worked at the Monet Foundation uh, in Giverny, France, oh, since 1980. Her mother also worked there. She was one of the first Americans uh, to work for the foundation and raise funds uh, for the uh, restoration of the garden. Well, anyway, uh, we discovered a painting of Monet's vegetable garden. And uh, Aileen and I put our heads together and decided to come up with a cookbook because there had previously been a cookbook, but it wasn't very good because if you tried to follow the recipes, you would not end up with what you expected. And that's because Monet's cook was very uh, insecure about her job. So when she wrote out these recipes um, of uh, meals that Monet liked, She would deliberately alter a cooking time, uh, (laughs) or she would miss out an important ingredient. (laughs) And we discovered this when we were looking through the journals. I, I saw, for example, instructions to cook mushrooms for one and a half hours. Oh, my. <laughs> if you tried to cook any mushroom for one and a half hours, what would you end up with? <laughs>
1: Not I, I very would much. say it would be charred. <laughs> there certainly so, wouldn't be very much of it left, would there be? Well,
2: yes. Well, anyway, um, Aileen uh, did the recipes, and these are all meals that Monet enjoyed because he was a, a gourmand. I mean, he was very particular about what he ate. And uh, he he had a two-acre vegetable garden. <laughs> and a painting of the vegetable garden is in the book. And I was able to research varieties that he grew, and uh, he actually introduced zucchini into Normandy. Uh, he discovered it in an Italian market, and he got seeds and put them in his pockets and brought them back to his garden and gave them to his gardener. And also Chinese um, uh what do you call them, uh, artichokes. Um, they're a kind of a tuber. They're, they're a clover that produce a, uh, a, a nutty kind of a tudor. He, he introduced those into Normandy as well. He was very um, good at, at experimenting with uh, vegetables that weren't familiar to any, any of the French people. So that's okay. the end of the book. Um, it, it's actually, the publication date is the end of this month. But if you go on Amazon, you can see a preview of it, and it's called uh, Monet's Palette Cookbook. But it also talks about its flower garden. It talks about the house interiors, and uh, the recipes are uh, really good. The one I like especially is a uh, Frida Mer, um seafood platter because he loves to uh, paint the coastline, and he always enjoyed um having a seafood platter with crab and lobster and prawns and that kind of stuff very
1: healthy Very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating i yeah. you told me for the first time when uh, the first time i had heard that he had a vegetable garden a very large one was the last time you were with us so yeah. this is more more insight into that i right. will put a link i will put a link to that up on our facebook page for people that would like to to go there and find your book Speaking of your books, right now I've got, right in front of me, I've got your Rodale Press book called Grow This. Yes. And it's the, It's the. I'm fascinated by some of your choices. Mm-hmm. And also by the fact that some of your choices for the best vegetables are not the newest and latest and greatest. Some of them are very, very old ones. Yes, yes,
2: that's right.
1: So I, I, I thought that was wonderful. Now, are you going to do the same thing for, um, for tropical fruits eventually?
2: <laughs> I will. I mean, I was looking in the bookstores in Florida and there are already quite a number of books that talk about, um, growing in a tropical climate. Um, and I think I could do, uh, an improvement on what's out there because I've learned a lot from actually, talking to people who have lived in Florida all their lives, and uh, they know uh, the idiosyncrasies of growing in a tropical climate. Um, So, yes, I mean, sometime in the future, I would love to do that.
1: I would also like to have you do it if you have time to do one on growing tropical fruit in northern climates, because I guess most of us have tried at one time or another to grow a pineapple top. And I've actually yes. gotten it to produce pineapples a couple of times, um, yes. but that you know it, it, it takes a long time. So what I did after cutting off the top of the pineapple mm-hmm. and rooting it, um, I grew it indoors for a while and then planted it out during the summer, yes. and then took it back in again for the winter time.
2: Right. Uh, well, let me tell you, a pineapple is amazingly easy to grow, even if even in a northern climate, uh, because it will grow in a pot, and it likes to be root-bound, and as long as you feed it and water it and give it enough light, uh, there's a good chance you will, in fact, make it fruit. Now, the fruit in a northern climate will be much smaller uh, than what you can buy in a supermarket, but where I am on Sanibel Island, I can grow pineapples outdoors. I'm fruiting them all the time, and all I do whenever I uh, buy a pineapple is simply cut off the top, the crown of leaves. And insert it in a bed, and I leave it with its own devices. I don't even water the darn thing. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's a bromeliad, and uh, it's used to um, a dry climate, uh, South America, and, uh, and there's nothing uh, more delicious than a, uh, a pineapple that you've ripened outdoors. But of course, uh, you better get to them before the raccoons do.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know I, that kind of surprises me. A bit, you know, as spiky as they are, you know, with with spikes on the yeah. sides as well as in the crown of that on the crown of that plant. Right. Now, how much how much of the um, the pineapple meat do you leave on, or do you just twist off the leaves and stick them in a pot?
2: No, don't twist off the leaves and stick them in a the pot. You do need um, part of the core when you cut through a pineapple. You'll see that it has a woody core, and you need part of that core uh, in order for it to root successfully. I mean, it, there may be occasions when you can do it with a very tiny amount of core, but I uh, try to give it as much core as I can.
1: At one point, I was at the, our local, I guess it was Whole Foods or something like that, and they had pineapples, and when I, they were so fresh, and um, had been kept fairly damp. I guess that when I went to take the core off, I discovered that between the the lowest couple of leaves, it had already rooted down.
2: Yes, so there, well, there were you, little you, roots well, right there. Yeah, what you also can do is uh, suspend that crown with the leaves over a jar of water or a vase of water, and the roots will emerge and they will seek the water. And as soon as you have those roots formed, of course, then you can pot it up, and the way you go. And I, you know, in my garden on Sanibel Island, uh, my pineapples take just like, maybe eighteen months to ripen. But well, you've, in an got, ind- you've got
1: a lot of lot of daylight there, don't you? Well,
2: we do. We have in very intense daylight, and uh, uh, indoors it would take longer than that. It might even take three years.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking I would get fruit on the end of my second year, uh, mm-hmm. second summer with them, um, and I would have started them um, usually February, I guess. Yeah, we have to now, take a little right. break right now. We have to take uh. a little break right now, but we'll be back right after this.
0: Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Hi. Absolutely, it's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Peter Wallace, inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day 1 with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com. The best in chat radio, designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Derek Fell, who's a gardener, a writer, a photographer. And you mentioned you have a new book out um, called Monet's Palette, at Monet's Palette Cookbook. We talked about your book, Grow This, which talks about the best varieties, not just of vegetables, but of chrysanthemums and lawn grasses and things like that, which are the best one. Um, and you also have another book out called Vertical Gardening. Do I have yes. them all?
2: Well, I have over a hundred books in print, uh, but those that you've mentioned are my latest ones, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you've got also got Vegetables, How to Select, Grow, and Enjoy, and that won a Best Book Award from the Garden Writers Association. Yes, it's that's, it, it, that's a it, tough group to, to win a prize.
2: It, yes, it is, indeed. And it was the first vegetable gardening book to win an award. And uh, it is currently out of print, but if you go online, you can find second-hand copies uh, in various stages of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, summing through, you know. Um, but I do recommend that book. I get letters even today. Um, and that book was published, I think, in the early 90s or 80s, even. Um, from people saying it is still the best book on the market, and I'm trying to get a publisher to bring it back because um, it's full of good information that you won't find in any other book. I was very fortunate in being able to work with Burpee Seeds for eight years, and then I worked with the All-America Selections, the National Seed Trials, and the National Garden Bureau. And before that, I worked for Britain's biggest seed company, uh, a company called Hearst, which um, no longer exists. But um, like I say, I was very fortunate in being able to uh, uh, work with a lot of plant breeders, those who produced vegetables and also uh, flowering annuals mostly. Um, so I do have a lot of knowledge from an early age of uh, varieties, both old and new, that are worth growing. And, of course, that's the the purpose of my farm in Pennsylvania, is to experiment with things so that when I do write books, I can talk from personal experience. And then my new garden in Florida, which is a frost-free climate, allows me uh, to learn more about uh, growing tropical fruits and vegetables.
1: Now, are you growing kind of like normal temperate climate vegetables in your in your southern garden too?
2: Yes, and the reason is because uh, the Florida winter climate is ideal for growing uh, a lot of uh, cool season crops, even like uh, garden peas um, and uh, lettuce. Uh, And then, of course, uh, the climate at that time of year is very good for things like tomatoes and melons. Uh, Although with the tomatoes and the melons, you generally do have to grow them through black plastic uh, to keep the soil warm uh, when the nights, sometimes around December, January, you can get temperatures Quite low for maybe a week or two, so it does benefit if you use black plastic to keep the soil warm. That's for warm season crops, but you don't need it for things like uh, lettuce, cucumbers, um, uh, peas.
1: <clears throat> well, now, how cold does it actually get? It on Sanibel?
2: Well, um, Sanibel is a very interesting island because the north part of the island will get frost uh, occasionally Uh, the south end of the island to my knowledge never gets frost it's like Key West and uh, it's more like a zone 11 than it is a zone 10 Um, and the reason is because the um, southern end of the island uh, the surrounding sea is very shallow and it retains heat much better than the northern end now, on Pine Island, which is the next island over, uh, before you get to the mainland, it's the opposite. Um, it, it's um, actually the uh, southern end of the island, which is frost-free. I, I'm sorry, the, the northern end that's frost-free and the southern end that will get the frost. Now, the mainland around Fort Myers, uh, they generally get frost every year, Um it, but it, it doesn't last long. It's usually just a night or two, and a lot of tropical plants can tolerate a small amount of frost. It, it's uh, uh, very destructive if uh, you get um, uh, maybe a week. You know, you'll start you'll start to see damage on certainly on your citrus, um, and also bananas and and uh, coconuts don't like that kind of cold either.
1: I remember a few years ago, perhaps a dozen years ago, there was a terrible, terrible freeze down there, and most of my Florida friends that had been successfully growing bananas and, and a lot of different palm trees lost them all. The, the, yeah. t- the growing tips just went down in a heap. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned bananas. Um, do you grow bananas yourself?
2: Yes, I do. In fact, I grow them in Pennsylvania also, and I fruited them in Pennsylvania quite easily. And, um, uh, the reason I can do it in Pennsylvania is because I have a small conservatory. It's a glassed-in enclosure, which I actually use as an office, and that's where I grow my uh, uh, banana trees indoors, but, of course, as soon as the frost is out um, of of the air, um, I take the bananas outdoors, and they're all potted, and, um, and you feed them like crazy, and you water them as much as you can, and, um... Normally, in a northern climate, uh, the flower that produces the bananas will emerge in March, um, and that's while it's still indoors. And then when you take it outside, it will take the whole year and probably ripen around October. Now, you can speed up the ripening process by enclosing the bunch of bananas in a plastic bag, and that will... Uh, Uh, speed up the ripening process, I'm told. I haven't actually done that because I haven't needed to. They've always ripened early enough for me. Uh, But now in Florida, um, gosh, I've got maybe 15 uh, banana trees, and three of them are fruited already, and the rest of them look like they're ready to start fruiting again as well. Now, after a banana has produced fruit, it dies. Uh, but it produces pots around uh, the roots, and you can actually separate those pots and repot them um, or put them in another part of the garden or just leave them where they are. Uh, you, but you have to keep feeding them. Bananas are greedy feeders, um, and they they will need uh, watering if there's a dry spell.
1: Do you have any recommended varieties for a, a fairly small one for people to do in containers?
2: Yes. Uh, there are two that I would recommend. Um, let me think. The first one is dwarf Cavendish. <clears throat> now, the Cavendish banana is the one that you will buy in the grocery store, but that's a big tree. I mean, that will grow 20 feet high. But there's a dwarf form called the dwarf Cavendish. Now, it doesn't have bananas as big as the grocery store, but they're still very good. Um now, the other one is a French name. It's called Grand Nain. Nain means dwarf, and it means big dwarf. Well, the, the fruit are a bit bigger uh, than the dwarf Cavendish. Um, but that, uh, to look at them, they look identical. They're the, the, the same height. Uh, they're not much taller than, say, five or six feet. And you do get a really good bunch of bananas if you give them enough light and enough food uh, and water. And uh, uh, I have, um, of course, in Florida, being able to grow outdoors, I have an Indonesian banana that's my pride and joy. Uh, that thing is 30 feet high. And wow. um, the bananas taste like mangoes.
1: How wonderful. Yes. <laughs> I've grown bananas before. I guess most of us have, have tried it at one time or another, and, and I had some success. I, I was able to get fruit a couple of times. What they do in my part of the South, what was typically done, was that you just dig up your banana at the end of the year, and you put it someplace that's going to not freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in my case, I put it in the crawl space. where yeah. I did one year that I didn't, I didn't realize it, but I apparently had put it in before it was completely ready to go dormant. Uh. And then about... Three weeks later, I went down to the crawl space to get something, and I opened the door and this giant white arm came flapping out at me. And the thing it sprouted in the crawl space without <laughs> enough without enough light to produce chlorophyll. Uh, you know, <laughs> um,
2: yeah. well, you know a banana is hard to kill um, it grows a very large rhizome in the soil, and it's not actually a woody plant it's not a tree. Or a shrub. Um, it's a perennial. It's the largest perennial that you can grow. It's it's uh, got soft tissue all the way through it. Um, but uh, when I moved to Florida, I had about five plants in my conservatory in Pennsylvania, and all I had to do was take them out of the pots. I um, washed all the soil from the roots, and I cut all the leaves off. Uh, making sure that I did not damage the actual growing point. And I took those plants down to Florida, just wrapped in moist newspaper, and replanted them, and within two or three weeks they were established. It was amazing, uh, you know, how much abuse that those banana uh, plants took.
1: They are very, very forgiving. Um, I only lost mine because um, (laughs) I I don't water very well. and. Uh, uh, when I when I decided that I was getting too old to lug this thing and digging yeah. it up and, and lugging it into the crawl space, yeah. I left it in the pot, of course, in my greenhouse. Right. But I, I'm not good at watering. I'm no. just not. And I it just I lose most of my plants that way, yes. eventually. Well, cold.
2: cold is lethal to them, too. But uh, let me tell you another trick I've learned, um, coconut. Uh, I have maybe, oh, gosh, 60 coconut trees on the property, and the 30 of them are bearing coconuts. Um, and uh, I've discovered how you germinate a coconut, and it's very easy. What you do is you take the whole nut, you don't, you know, you don't take it out of the husk, uh, uh, the, the coconut itself is inside a, a very fibrous uh, husk, and it's quite large, it's about as big as a football. And what you do is you float it in a bucket of water for four days. Now, you realize that in in the wild, coconuts float on the ocean, and they Mm -hmm. find a sandy shore, and they root. Well, what you've got to do is simulate the idea that the coconut is floating on water for four days before it finds its rest. You take the uh, coconut out of the bucket, plant it, keep it watered, And you'll get 90% germination. Uh, That's what I've, that's been my experience. And uh, there's nothing like (laughs) going out in the morning in my robe, uh, picking up a coconut uh, from the lawn. I have a little electric chainsaw, which I very quickly (laughs) use (laughs) to extract (laughs) the nut. I punch a hole in one of the eyes, put in a straw, and there I have my breakfast drink. And then you crack it open, and the meat's inside. What I like to do is I shred the meat, and I use it on my breakfast cereal.
1: That sounds so terribly decadent. (laughs) It's so wonderful. (laughs) What a life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We have to take a little break right now, but we'll be back with America's Homegrown Veggie Show right after this.
0: Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm talking today with Derek Fell and he's talking about his tropical garden. So what else do you have there? You mentioned the coconuts and the bananas and I I love the picture of you in your robe fetching a coconut from the lawn and then taking a chainsaw to it. (laughs) That's just too much. So what else do you have? (laughs) What else? Well,
2: Okay, i, I got to mention two other items that are absolutely fantastic. Uh, one is the, um, how do you pronounce it, lychee or lychee?
1: I, I've always learned it was lychee, but lychee. I may be wrong. Okay, we'll call
2: it lychee. Okay, a lot of people probably are not familiar with the lychee fruit. Uh, it comes from China. Uh, it's about the size of a golf ball. It has a very uh, hard shell, but it's like an eggshell. You can crack it very easily. And then inside is this absolutely delicious white fruit. It has a large seed on the inside, but the fruit is beautiful. And uh, the season down in Florida is June. And I go down to Florida every June especially for the lychee harvest. Uh, that's how good they are. And uh, they're, they're easy to grow. Um, they, can grip, they can get the size of a banyan tree if you let them, but they can be pruned. And uh, they produce masses of fruit, clusters of fruit. Uh, some of them are red-skinned. Um, but uh, what you can do uh, very often, even in the northern climate, uh, during the season, June, you will find the leachies, For sale in the supermarket. Well, save the the seed. Uh, The seed is like an almond seed. It's uh, quite big and shiny. That will germinate 100% almost. If immediately you've eaten the fruit, you plant the seed. If you let the seed dry out, it's very difficult to germinate. But but if it's fresh, you can germinate that seed. And what I've also learned is that... um, even a young tree will bear flowers and produce fruit. And I know years ago, uh, one of the mail-order companies was selling uh, lychee trees uh, in pots. And if you have a conservatory or a sunroom, uh, that would be, give you enough light uh, to actually fruit them. Now, the other uh, plant or fruit that I think is absolutely fantastic is a Native American tree, and that's the um, Scopanon grape. It grows wild in the south. You, you've probably got them all over the hedgerows in uh, Georgia. We do. Yes. What's the other name for them? There's another name muscadine. for Muscadine. Muscadine, right. The muscadine, um, of course, uh, can come in several colors. Uh, it can be black, it can be bronze, or it can be green when ripe. Um and I think the, the scuppernong is, is the green variety or the bronze, I'm not sure. But anyway, either the scuppernong or the muscadine, that flavor is fantastic. And I have five vines in my garden, and they fruit in um, July. But that will grow even in Zone 6 in the north. Even in Pennsylvania, you can grow that uh, muscadine grape. And I guarantee it will be more flavorful, more flavorful than a Concord grape.
1: They absolutely are absolutely
2: addictive.
1: <laughs> I, I just wish somebody would develop seedless ones that taste good, because
2: well, I don't know why they I don't know why they haven't. There may actually be one that's seedless, but I haven't come across it. Um,
1: Neither have I.
2: Um, you also have to be careful. I think some of the varieties need uh, another uh, plant for pollination, but the modern varieties are self-pollinating, and uh, they are incredibly productive. Um,
1: so that's they're also a- rampant growers. They grow so quickly, and so, well, at least here they do. Yeah. Uh, and and they yes. tolerate even when we have years with with no rain for six weeks in the summer. They tolerate okay. that as well as our freezing winters. Yeah. Um, my neighbor has one has a vine that's probably forty mm-hmm. years old, and mm-hmm. back in the eighties, we were regularly below zero, and mm-hmm. sometimes one time it was down to sixteen below, and it didn't phase it at all.
2: Yes. Yes, but don't you agree with me? The flavor of of those grapes is fantastic.
1: I I think you are absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> the, the only drawbacks is they're fairly thick skinned and they're very seedy. But you know, you just eat them outside, so you can. Yes, sit. that's fine. Right.
2: Yes, absolutely. But they're really and great. and uh, you could, you will you can grow them in a, a container, and. Um, but you do need to prune them heavily. I mean uh, if you don't prune them you'll get small fruit and what you do need of course is the biggest fruit you can you can grow and that's only possible by uh, very rigor- rigorous pruning and use it, leaving maybe four main branches uh, to grow on a trellis or up a wall or even into a tree. <clears throat>
1: Here they fairly, you know, around some of the old homesteads or where birds have planted them, they go way up in the trees. They yes. don't seem to be as productive if they're growing up as they are when they're growing sideways, though. Ah, have you found okay. that to be true? I I don't know well, whether that's always the case or that's just the way yes, I've observed it.
2: Um, the only way I've grown them is on a trellis, sideways, uh, like an espalier. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, like I say, I, I, uh, I buy them, um, you know, year-old plants. And sometimes you even can buy them with fruit already on them so you can see what color they are. Um, but I have an assortment of colors. I have a black, a bronze, and a green, and uh, they're, they're the most rewarding fruit that I can grow in, in the South. And I was amazed to discover that they can be grown in Zone 6, which would be Philadelphia. Um, and uh, uh, all, uh, into New York, into New York State.
1: <clears throat> I wouldn't have thought that either. Um, the, they do tolerate cold, but of course our cold is very brief here. Yes. And, and most winters uh, we don't get below ten. Um, well above but, no So, so uh, that surprises me. I will yeah. put on our Facebook page. I will put a link to one of the premier fruit orchards in this area. The gentleman yeah. that owned it uh, would grow out. Uh, the University of Georgia selections. Yeah. And I, so I'll put a link for people that are interested in that. Right. Do you have anything else that you're growing there that a, that a northern gardener can grow?
2: Well, in the way of uh, vegetables or fruit, um, I think I've covered uh, the main things, although um, <laughs> I must mention my fondness for mango. Um I don't know if you've ever seen anybody do uh what, what they call the mango trick. Uh, you know, some of these magicians have this amazing trick that they perform, and I saw it once, and I was so enthralled at uh, this magic trick that uh, I asked the magician if he could tell me how it was done, and he must have taken a liking to me because he told me, and this is what it this is how it's done okay the magician has a table with a pot <laughs> and it's got soil in it i guess but anyway he he waves his handkerchief in front of the pot and takes it away and here's a mango tree growing in the pot he puts the handkerchief back waves it around again takes it away and the mango tree is in flower. <laughs> he does it <laughs> again. He does it again. <laughs> and this time, the mango tree has got fruit on it, and he picks the fruit and eats it. Now, this is a this apparently is a magic trick that was perfected in India, and and it's done today in in the marketplaces. Uh, but the magician told me how he did it, and and I'm not going to tell you, Aww. <laughs> because I swore that I would keep it a secret. But anyway,
1: now that's really leading us down the path, Derek. That's hardly fair.
2: All, all I can say is that it is sleight of hand. There's no magic to it. But certainly a mango, you know, a mango has a very big seed in the middle, mm-hmm. and uh, it is quite easy to germinate and grow, and it, it's, it makes a handsome tree. It's actually related to poison ivy, but, mm-hmm. uh, of course, it isn't poisonous, although some people, I'm told, do have an allergic reaction. Uh, if they touch the stems or the leaves of the mango. Uh,
1: you know, one of my friends uh, was not never allergic to mangoes until um, after, I don't remember which hurricane it was that went through, and she had a lot of debris to clean up and yeah. some broken branches and got so much of the sap on her that after mm. that she was just terribly yeah. allergic to mangoes. Yes. Okay, think well, it's kind I... of like euphorbias or something like that if you're playing around in them enough um, yeah you eventually develop an allergy
2: right well there i'm told there are about 50 varieties of mango that are grown in florida and uh you can have mangoes ripening from may until october depending on the variety that you choose and uh of course, they're all shapes and sizes. I mean, some of them are as big as a football, um, but the best ones, I find, are kind of bean-shaped, um, and uh, they're a bit bigger uh, than a peach, and they're very delicious.
1: Are there any of them that are dwarf enough so that people could carry them in and out? Or is that just one of those things, like like your mango trick, that we're just going to have to pine <laughs> for?
2: <laughs> um There probably are some dwarf varieties. Um, I know uh, myself that uh, the mangoes will uh, flower uh, at a very juvenile state. Um, And uh, the other two items that I would mention very quickly are avocado. You can um, take an avocado pit suspended over a glass of water, that will germinate very quickly and it will make a beautiful house plant. Um, it may not uh fruit indoors. Um, it's a bit tricky uh, to get an avocado to fruit indoors, but um, I do have avocados in my garden and they flower, but they haven't fruited yet. I, I just don't think they're old enough. Um, and the papaya, um, when you buy a papaya from the supermarket, um Uh, Now, some papayas, you need cross-pollination, but there's one called Caribbean red, which is self-pollinating, and that's the one uh, that I would recommend you grow if you want to grow a papaya indoors. Now, a papaya can grow very tall, um, and uh, certainly um, it would be a challenge, I think, uh, for most people unless they've got a high Conservatory or a high sunroom uh, to fruit a papaya, uh, but you know what the heck it it, it does produce a beautiful um, uh, plant, and of course the leaves are like fig leaves; they're, they're indented and uh, very attractive. And, of course, and then and then there are two types: there's a male and a female, and and uh, uh, the fe- uh, I think the males um, have very long stems to the flowers, and the females are close to the uh, to the trunk.
1: That's about all the time we have now, Derek, but I'm looking very much forward to the next book that you write that hopefully will be on growing these tropical fruits, yes. especially since you've grown in both climates, you can be very helpful to, to those of us that don't have a house on Sanibel Island <laughs> where we can go out and pick our coconuts off the lawn. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us, Derek. I've enjoyed it tremendously, and I hope that your summer up north is is yeah. all that you hope it to be. And all I right. hope we'll get a chance to come back and talk to you again. Anytime. Thank you for, for being with us on America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We'll be back next week.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.